All right. I don't know what happened. I had an episode for Tuesday. I don't know why it didn't release, but that's all right. It's all old news now. So here's what we got going on. We got Jeff Thompson. I got permission to Jeff to re-release this episode. I'm in the very part of front of it doing the intro, but it's a very smart, small part. But the best part about this is that Jeff Thompson does these great interviews. And he's doing this interview with Dr. Amar Patel, who's who's a visually impaired man. He's blind, okay? And he's racing this race car. And it's just, I'll put a link up to the video of him doing it. And it's just a phenomenal story. And I'm putting this up for Thanksgiving because I think it's a great story to show the kids. Especially the fact that it's like, I guess for me, what I, what I what do I get out of this? I get out of the fact that you know, here's a guy who loved cars, who wanted to do this thing, and he approached them, you know, the the people, and he said, "Hey, I want to do this thing," and they're like, "Yeah, all right, come on, let's do it." So they put somebody in the car with him, and they raced around the track, and he, I believe, it was the ninth best speed he got on this track. Anyway, it's just an amazing, amazing story. I think Doctor Mabatel is an amazing human being. And I think Jeff Thompson, who also does the interview here, is an amazing human being. I think Jeff's one of my, you know, one of my favorite podcasters. I love his interviews. I love his sound design. I, you know, he's just full of tips and he's very helpful. And uh, he gave me permission to repost this. I just think it's an amazing story. So if you want to go listen to, you know, listen to Jeff's podcast on a regular basis, which I highly recommend, you can find him at Blind Abilities, you know, wherever podcasts are. Or he's got an app out, and you can find him on his app. Just look at Blind Abilities app in the App Store. You know, I'm not sure about on Google where you'd find him on if he has a Google app, but more than likely he does. Well worth listening to. All right, well worth listening to. So I'm not going to go with my intro. I'm just going to go straight into the story. And this is Dr. Amat Patel with Jeff Thompson. And like I said, go, uh, do, go subscribe to Jeff Thompson. It's worth your time. You know, and a lot of his stuff is just... It's just well worth listening to. All right? It's a good interviewer. All right, here we go. Welcome to Blind Abilities. I'm Jeff Thompson. Today in the studio, we have Dr. Ahmed Patel. He's a motivational speaker, an author, and an advocate for the blind and visually impaired. As I'm setting up for this podcast, a friend of mine who's on the road most of the time, he's a truck driver of an 18-wheeler driving from the Midwest all the way to the West Coast and beyond, contacted me about this video he saw. Little did he know, I was already in talks with Dr. Ahmed Patel and creating this podcast. But we got chatting back and forth, and you know, as a truck driver, he's sighted, and thank gosh for everybody on the road, but he gets it. He really gets it. You know, you may wonder what those truck drivers are thinking about on those long roads, getting that white line fever. Well, Kingfish is thinking about the blindness community and thinking about Dr. Ahmed Patel. Here's a little clip from Kingfish to lead us out. Hope you enjoy. story just the way he carries himself the demeanor he has his seriousness yeah there's something about this guy that just screams greatness here's the thing though it's not a blind story it's not a blind story it's not a story about a blind man it's a story about a man who's doing what he wants to do you know who's who's set a goal for himself and is doing it it doesn't matter that he's blind i mean that's just another obstacle but that doesn't define who he is that's just you know, like he's tall or he's short or whatever. You know, this guy doesn't take any shit. I like that. He's not defined by by that. I, I'm not saying it right, but I think you know what I mean. Just like you, man. I don't think of you as a blind guy. I think of you as the audio guy, you know? Sure, I'm sure you have some obstacles that you have to deal with because of it, but it doesn't stop you from doing what you want to do. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, Kingfish, for the intro. And keep those 18 wheels out there on the road. Safe driving to all you truck drivers. Do you know what I use? I use my disability as a way of trying to educate people, I think. It's, it, you know, we exist. You know, you may never have counted a blind person before, but I'm hoping that maybe even a five-minute conversation with me will open someone's eyes. Please welcome Dr. Amit Patel. 
I think you you adapt. It's not it's not long since I lost my sight, but I've adapted very quickly, and I, th- I think that kind of that helps. Definitely helps, but it's tiring. You you will know it's it's doing a basic task takes a lot more brain power than if you're if you're sighted. Author, motivational speaker, and a strong advocate for the blind and visually impaired. Here's the big question: As a doctor, did you ever practice your handwriting? <laughs> <laughs> the only the only people who could read my handwriting were other doctors and nurses. To be honest, I think I even struggled reading some of my handwriting. But I think probably my handwriting is probably better now as a blind person than it was because I, in my head I kind of know I have to make it very obvious what I'm trying to write. Follow Dr. Ama Patel on Twitter at blinddad underscore uk. Since the day I actually lost my sight, it would be every morning thinking right today is going to be the day I, I can see again and and you you pin everything on that and it just doesn't happen then the next day you pin everything and it got to a stage where I just couldn't I do I think I, I didn't want to wake up in the morning I didn't want to go through the whole day not being able to see Dr. Amit Patel is a husband a father a son and a friend of many but then you have your bad experiences. I remember actually walking along a busy train platform. I knew where to go to catch my train. So I was walking along the platform and I accidentally tapped someone's shoe. And this person turned around, took my cane out of my hand and threw it on the train track as the train was coming through. Download the free Blind Abilities app from the App Store and on Google Play. That's two words, Blind Abilities. You can also enable the Blind Abilities skill on your Amazon device. Just say, Enable blind abilities there's nothing you can't achieve i think you kind of put your own barriers in front of you please welcome dr amit patel i'm out there i'm trying to spread the word the message that you know being blind doesn't stop you from from being who you are that, that you know it should never stop you from doing what you want to do in life The GT86 drives in a straight line along the track. Dr. Amit Patel lost his sight in 2013. He was forced to give up his career as an emergency first response driver. He hasn't been behind the wheel of a car since. Until now. So you got the Toyota parked right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, do you know what? I, I think I've misplaced the keys. <laughs> <laughs> That might be a good thing. Oh, do you know what? My wife does hide the keys. I don't blame her. Well, that's good. Well, if she keeps the keys hidden, you might be able to see your book published, right? This is it. Hopefully. Hopefully. I I just saw something on Twitter about your anticipating the book. Yeah, we we have just finalized the front cover just about 20 minutes ago. So yeah, exciting times. Book's out in uh, February next year. Someone asked for a photo of me for this one article, and I find that very challenging to me. <laughs> yeah, are my eyes open? Am I looking at the camera? Yeah, yes. none of that. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I, I, have the, I have the same thing. So I, I don't have any vision whatsoever. And I've forgotten what I look like. So it's, it's kind of weird when I'm, when I'm giving a presentation and someone said, oh, there's a big photo of you in the background. I'm thinking, what do I actually look like? What do people see? You know, am I completely, the, am I the same as what the photo is? It's who I am now. Mm. It's a strange concept. Yeah. Yeah. A gentleman sent me, a, he, he's a truck driver. He drives all over and he calls it his midlife crisis car. Yes. <laughs> yes. He has a vintage, I think it's a 28, 1928 with a hot rod motor in it. and Oh, lovely. So he likes he likes the feel of the vehicle, the sound, and he was wondering if you ever, while you're driving that, getting the feel of the shifting, the the turning. Do you know what it was? It was that. So before I got into the Toyota GT86, they let me loose in a Toyota hybrid, which for me it doesn't make sense because when I used to drive, so I used to be a rapid response paramedic, a doctor. Mm-hmm. I was trained to drive very quickly, very safely. I would use the revs, I would use the gear shift, I would use the brakes. All of this would be my experience of driving. And when I got into the hybrid, it was like a go kart. It was an automatic. There was no feel of the steering. There was no feel of the pedals. You put your foot down and you go, and you have this buzzing noise. 
noise mm. and then you stop. But when I got into the GT86, it was, it was the rumble of the engine. It was the smell of the leather. It was, it was that, it, it envelops you, that whole experience. Um, and I think that's what it was. it was. It wasn't so much the driving quickly. It was actually feeling that vibration on my hands on the steering wheel as I turned the corner, as I short shifted on the gears. Six years or so since I've been behind the wheel of a car. And it's funny how quickly things get back to you. You know, the sound of the engine, the, the gear changes, the clutch, the brake. But then driving and not knowing where you're driving, that's, that's the insane part. Amit practices his lap while instructor Mark provides information regarding the route. As I did it so well, you know, because I'm, I'm not concentrating on the road anymore. I'm concentrating on actually driving the car. And the funny thing is, I think it made me a better driver because <laughs> I didn't have to focus. I was listening to Mark on my left-hand side just saying, left Amit, right Amit, 90 right, 90 left. And by the end of it, I can anticipate what he was saying before he said it. But that's what I was concentrating. But I was concentrating on the gear changes, on the smoothness, had making sure the revs were just right, just as I changed the gear. I'm hitting the apex on a corner, hitting the rumble strips as we're taking the bend and making sure I hit that strip every single time. Right a bit, left a bit. <laughs> to be behind the engine of a fast car, knowing full well I'm in control, it feels like I'm floating. I feel the engine, I feel the vibrations, and do you know what, I feel powerful. I feel like I did when I was a teenager back in a car. Five, four, three, two, one, go. So not seeing the track actually for me was great because it meant I could focus on the car and actually focus on the driving. And that's kind of like blindness itself is that anticipating, thinking ahead as you go about your daily chores, all your activities. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people say to me, you know, you look very confident when you're out and about. You know, I may look confident, um, but in my head, I've got 20 scenarios going. I, I know where I am. You know, I know what's approaching me. I know I'm going to be coming up to a curb. But yeah, I think I think you you adapt. So, you know, it's not, it's not long since I lost my sight, but I've adapted very quickly. And I, th I think that kind of that helped, definitely helps. But it's tiring. You, you will know it's it's doing a basic task takes a lot more brain power than if you're if you're sighted and by the evening i am i am i'm wiped and that's coming from a doctor saying that <laughs> oh the the doctor the doctor in me is is the stubbornness in me I, I like to have a goal and I like to achieve it. So that, that's how I've always done things in my life. Here's the big question. As a doctor, did you ever practice your handwriting? <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only people who could read my handwriting were other doctors and nurses. To be honest, I think I even struggle reading some of my handwriting. But I think probably my handwriting is probably better now as a blind person than it was because I, in my head, I kind of know I have to make it very obvious what I'm trying to write. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I have, I have doctor's handwriting. Yeah, you make a great point that it's the thinking, the, the amount of contemplating that you have to do to foresee things, even though you can't see it, you have to project, you have to have an idea of where you're going, what you're doing, everything. It's not just whistling Dixie as you're walking along, you, you actually are concentrating. And then someone wants to talk to you as you're walking. So that that's a whole nother level. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially when you have a guide dog as well. You know, I could be on a, on, a, on a crossroad thinking, do I need to take a right? Do I need to go left? Or do I need to go straight over? And as you're thinking about this, someone will come over and go, oh, nice doggy. Hello. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't know where I am anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the best one, the, the, the one thing I never really thought about when I lost my sight is how lonely it could be when, when you can't see anybody around you. Mm. So I, I remember when I was learning to use my long white cane, I would get to a busy junction and then I would have to stop because I have to compose myself. I know I need to cross the road or I need to take a right or a left. But before I can even think, a little old lady will come along, link arms with me and take me across the road and say, there you go, my love, and walk away. And I'm thinking to myself, is this where I need to be or do I need to actually just take a right? And then I have to find someone to take me across the road again just so I can start my journey. But it's funny. People think they do a lot of, you know, a lot of good, uh, which which to me, do you know what? If, if someone's willing to help, that's fantastic. But sometimes you don't want that help. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you, you're caught off guard when all of a sudden the help comes. It's not always when you like there's there should be like a little light above our head, like a taxi used to have, you know, like it. when I'm ready for help, this light will come on and that could 
that would help everybody. Would you believe someone actually told me just the other day, I was in a busy train and someone said to me, you should wear a high-vis jacket so people could tell you're blind. And I said, how would you know I'm blind if I wore just a jacket? Because they, they couldn't see my dog. My dog was um, stuck in the, mm-hmm. she was laying down next to me. And I said, how would you know I was blind if I just wore a jacket? And they said, you should write on the jacket saying, I am blind. And I'm like, seriously, I'm like, do, what, do we really need to do this? You know, do I really need to announce that I'm blind for someone to, to move out my way? Isn't it obvious that I'm walking around with a guide dog with a high-vis jacket on her, you know? It does make you wonder what, like, you, six, seven years ago, I believe it was, you could see perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did you notice the blind before you went blind? Do you know what? I don't think I did. Me and my wife had this conversation. I worked in central London. I took the train, I took the tube, I drove, and the only people I actually interacted who were visually impaired were patients. I don't think I actually saw that many guide dogs. I didn't see a lot of cane users out and about. But I think if I if I did see someone who needed help, I think I would be the first one there. I think it's that whole doctor thing in me. Uh, you know, you're always looking to help someone regardless if they want help or not. So you're, you're, you're the first one there. But I don't think I did see that many people. I think being blind has kind of opened my eyes, you know, excuse mm-hmm. the pun, but it's, it, I've noticed, I, I live in a whole different community now. Yeah, I, I guess when you're not going through anything like that, you don't really have to think about it. I used to interact with people with mobility issues, blindness, hearing impairments, all through the work. But once I left work, I don't think it really came into my life. Now, when you're sitting outside somewhere and you hear a cane tapping, bang, yep. you catch that right away. Bang, you know, straight away. Absolutely. I, I say to my wife sometimes when we're out and about, oh, there's a cane user behind us. And she goes, oh, how do you know? And you, you just distinctively just pick it up. It, it's like a radar. Yeah, it's like white noise, the noise that you don't have to pay attention to yeah. as you're going along. It seems like that is now all the information we use. We use all that, and now there's another layer of white, white noise, another layer. I think it's all in defense, that, but you do pay attention to so much more. You do. And you know what? My ability to bump into another blind person is, is amazing. I can, I can be absolutely anywhere, and I can literally bump into another blind person. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I do it, but it, it happens too often. And yet, I, I did the same thing before I went blind. I, I, don't, I think I remember one person walking with a cane, and I remember watching them across the street. First, you know, might have been three seconds, but it's in my mind now, it seems like an hour. But I just, you know, and I went, huh. And then my life went on. That's it. Do you know what I use? I use my disability as a way of trying to educate people. I think it's, it, you know, we exist. You know, you may never have counted a blind person before, but I'm hoping that maybe even a five minute conversation with me will open someone's eyes and make them think slightly differently. And that's it. We become ambassadors to the blindness yes. community. We're like a gateway that people can find out more. And that's why it's kind of neat to gain some skills and confidence to be out there and be prepared for that because it does happen. Absolutely. It does. And you know what? It can happen to anybody. This is the thing. You know, a lot of people I come across say, oh, you know, I'll never lose my sight or this will never happen to me. You know, ask me 10 years ago. Yeah, I would have said the same thing. But um, it does. And it's, it's, you have to get on with it. And I think getting with it is the difficult part. I think, you, you know, you have to acknowledge that for me, I personally, it was, it was heartbreaking when I lost my sight. Being a doctor, I was, I was the one people used to come and ask for help. And now I have to go and ask for help from others. And I found that really difficult. But I also thought that I lost my sight so quickly. I lost it overnight. And my, you know, I put my doctor's hat on and I thought, okay, what can we do? Realistically, I knew there was nothing we could do, but you're still kind of grasping onto, onto hope. So it, it can happen to anybody and it does happen to everybody. It doesn't have to be sight loss. It can be anything traumatic in your life. But I think once you get to a point where you want to help yourself, I think it becomes easier. We're talking to Dr. Amit Patel. I came across him in a Toyota video of him driving, operating. He was on the wrong side, I believe of the <laughs> cockpit, but he was driving this. And you said something in there that relates to what you were just saying, that you were always expecting maybe, you know, a cure or a solution to this blindness. And when did you accept blindness? Since the day I actually lost my sight, it would be every morning thinking, right, today is going to be the day I, I can see again. And and you, you pin everything on that and it just doesn't happen. Then the next day you pin everything. And it got to a stage where I just couldn't, I, did, I think I, I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I didn't want to go through the whole day not being able to see. And I'm pretty strong mentally and physically. Uh, but one day I just, I cried in front of my dad. I said, I said, 
I said to my dad, dad, why has this happened to me? You know, what have I done so wrong in my life for this, you know, to happen to me? And my dad being my dad, all he had to do was put his arms around me and say, because you can get through this. That was it. He said, because you can get through this, that's why you're going through this. You know, you're, you're, you're going to be able to help others from your experiences. And for me, that was a life-changing point. I woke up thinking, right, I need help. I need to be able to get back on my feet. And I lost my sight very soon after getting married. It was just over a year after getting married. So me and my wife had amazing dreams. You know, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to live. And we, you know, and we, we were still in that honeymoon period in our marriage. And, and the lights went out. So for me, it was, well, is my wife going to stay? Or is she going to walk? You know, is it, how hard is it for her? So you kind of put all of this pressure on yourself, but you forget to ask for help because you're kind of, you're all consumed within your, in your own head of, about what you can do, what you can achieve, what is life going to be like now as, as a blind person, but you actually forget to let people in. Um, and I think when I let everybody back into my life, it became easier. What was her transition like to adjust? Oh, do you know what? My wife, me and my wife are chalk and cheese. So I am, I, if I want to do something, I will do it. My wife's a very, she will get her notebook out. She will, she will plan things way in, in advance. Um, so when I lost my sight, my wife had to take over. My wife had to get the doctor's appointments together. My wife had to drive me to the appointments because there was no way I could do things on my own. Because I went from being a, a confident guy to being a little child who needed everything doing for him. So my wife had to step in and that took a huge amount of pressure on her because also her seeing me go through this, she wasn't sure what to say and what to do. She didn't want to be patronizing. She didn't want to upset me. So she would always think about what she was saying before she said it. It wasn't an organic conversation. It was very much a structured conversation. How are you? How are you doing? Let's get you this. Let's get you that. I think she lost. She, I think genuinely she thought she lost the person she married. But I think, with my help, and I say this in the Toyota video, you know, it was my wife that got me back on my feet again. It was my wife who came and gave me the hugs and the cuddles and the reassurance that I needed. Um, you know, because you have your good days, you have your bad days, and then you have your terrible days. And that's where my wife was just amazing. You know, she knew exactly what to say, what to do. But not everybody has this. And this is why I do a lot of my campaigning, because I'm very lucky. I have an amazing wife who stood up and took charge and, and got me back on my feet. There's a lot of people who go through this on their own. And I like to do my campaigning out there to tell people that, you know, you don't have to be alone. You know, you do have to let people into your life and you do, you know, and it, and it does become easier. You know, it is difficult. No, it, no, I'm not going to sit here and say it's, it's easy, you know, losing your sight and getting back on your feet again, learning to use a white cane, learning to read Braille, or you learning tech all over again. It isn't. It's, it's difficult, but you can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. That's a great message to people. How did you start in learning some of the skills that you're using today? What, what was your first steps? So I started my, I think it would be my white cane lessons around about six months after I lost my sight. For the first six months, I had no confidence. I didn't want to leave the house at all. And it took me about six months to build that confidence to actually go and get white cane lessons. But the lady I went to see to get my cane lessons, she also said, right, Amit, we're not just going to do cane lessons. I'm going to teach you Braille as well. And I think she understood that I needed to focus on something. I can just have a couple of lessons a week with my white cane and then be left at home. She understood that my mind needed to focus on something and to try and read Braille meant I could do it on my own be at home and actually focus. And it was people, it, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've, I've had amazing people in my life. People have inspired me. People, people have seen probably more than what I've kind of let on. They've, they've kind of understood what I'm trying to say, even in a, in a quick conversation. And they understand that I need that motivation. I need something to focus on. And they've been there. So Braille and cane lessons were the two things I, I started doing. As soon as I was comfortable with, with my cane, I was out and about. We live in central London, so it's always busy. But I always used to say sorry to a lamppost, to a letterbox, um, <laughs> because you, you, you just don't know if you've tapped someone. But then you have your bad experiences. I remember actually walking along a busy train platform. I knew where to go to catch my train. So I was walking along the platform and I accidentally tapped someone's shoe. And this person turned around, took my cane out of my hand and threw it on the train track as the train was coming through. And all you heard was this mighty crack. As the, as the train split my cane in two. The rest of the platform, there must have been at least 150 people on that platform, all gasped because they all saw what happened. 
And then the next conversation was, should we help him or should we get on the train? Every single member on that platform got on the train. Not one person turned around and said, we should help the blind guy who's lost his white cane. Oh my gosh. Um, so I've seen the good side of London and I've seen the bad side of London. And that stopped me from going out for three months because I just couldn't face the world again. So you have your good days and you have your bad days. You know, it's, it's, never, it's never easy. And even now I walk out with a confident smile on my face. But the moment you step out of your house, you're in someone else's world. That's how I feel. You know, you, don't have, you can't control anything. In my house, I walk around. I know where everything is. I have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. I can change nappies. I can change their clothes. I can give them baths. I can feed them. But the moment I step out of my house, it's a whole different ballgame. And that's where confidence comes in. I mean, you can't change the inevitable of a jerk or mob mentality as they all got onto the train. And yet I know what you mean by in your house. It's a huge comfort zone. But I I tell you what, with kids, that's a whole nother area. (laughs) Lego. Mm, Lego is a minefield. Yes, it is. it's, It's got to a point now where if daddy stubs his toe on Lego or he walks on Lego, that Lego now goes in the bin. Um, that's how my son was taught. And now at the end of his play session, everything is all tidied up. He's very good at that now. Um, but he had to learn. Mm. Yeah. Now that they're going to have Braille on Lego, it's even going to be a little sharper. Yes. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to try that out. Yeah. I hope they make it available to the public. I know they're going to start out by making it available to educational practices places yes yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of colleges in in the uk um which are receiving the legos so it'll be great to actually hear the feedback yeah that is exciting i was really excited to learn more about that drive how did the toyota drive i mean not toyota wasn't just saying hey we need a blind guy you actually pursued it <laughs> absolutely the one thing i miss is the freedom of jumping in my car I used to love driving and I, and I still do. I, I'm very passionate about driving. I used to, I'm a massive fan of Top Gear. Any, any car programs, I, I love that. I would spend ages just cleaning and valeting my own car on, on a weekend. And when I lost my sights, I, I kind of lost that freedom. One day I realized that the head of Toyota's PR was following me on Twitter. And I said to my wife, oh, do you know what? Toyota have a big headquarters in Surrey. And I know they probably have a big car park. And I said to my wife, would it be cheeky if I asked if I can jump in a car and just drive around their car park? And my wife said, oh, you can give it a go. And the reason I actually chose Toyota is because they're a huge sponsor of the Paralympics. And they talk about, a lot of their advertising talks about a car isn't just for the driver. It's the whole experience. It's for the whole family. So I, I thought, it, you know what, it might be cheeky, but let me give it a go. So I sent a private message to um, the head of PR, Scott Brownlee. And I said, thank you for following me. You know, you know who I am. Any chance I can jump in a car and just drive it around your car park. And I thought I'd never hear anything back. Within about a day or so, I got a message saying, leave it with me. And that was it. Um, and I think about a couple of months passed and then we got a phone call saying, Amit, can you be at this, I think it was a disused airfield, it was a disused American airbase actually in Oxford. And I think it was the, it was the location where they filmed Fast and Furious. They said, there's, there's plenty of runway. Would you meet us there one morning and we can get you into a car? And I thought, fantastic. So we got to the aerodrome and they put me in the electric car. We had about five minutes in this electric car. And I had, I had a co-driver who was an ex-rally driver. And he said to me, I mean, I'm going to give you a countdown uh, when I want you to turn left and right. So he's going, in three, two, one, take a left. Three, two, one, take a right. And within a few minutes, he realized that I, I'm just listening to him. I'm not concentrating on the road or anything. So he basically said, look, if I just say right or left, 90 or 45 degrees, can you manage that? And, and we did. And we're, we're taking the car up to about 30, 40 miles an hour. And after about 15, 20 minutes, we stopped. And he said, how did you like that? And I said, I hated it. I said, there's no gear changes. I can't feel the car. It feels like I'm in a go-kart. And he walked away and he spoke to Toyota and he said, I think Amit's ready for the GT86, <laughs> which I hadn't, I didn't realize they had, a, they had the GT86 ready. And he said, let's, let's take a bit of a spin on that. So we spent I think two hours in that car, just driving up and down the runway, doing donuts. I think we hit about 85, 86 miles an hour. And I thought that was the end of it. And we had a whole day of driving. I thought, fantastic. You know, I'm never going to experience this again. I then get a call from Toyota saying, Amit, we supply the car to Top Gear for the celebrities to do their fast laps in. Would you like to take part in it? 
So you could be the blind guy in a reasonably fast car. And there was no way I was going to say no to this. So um, I made my way to the studio to where I film. And they had a whole film crew there. They had drone operators. They had the emergency services. They had the actual car that even Tom Cruise drove around the test track in. And the only requirement was, Amit, don't total the car. We need it for filming in the next couple of days. So... um, (laughs) It was I was I was partnered with Mark uh, Mark Watkins who was the gentleman in the in the car with me and they said look you know you don't have to do it fast just just go around the track it'll be great if you can enjoy it don't worry about the timings or anything but I'm a very very competitive guy so I I basically said to Mark look we we've got to do this you know we're never going to get this opportunity again let's just see what we can do but unfortunately the day we were test driving the car. It was raining, so the track was completely wet. But we did, we did a couple of good good times. Um, and then the, the day afterwards was the day we were actually going to film the, the actual the fast lap. And it was dry. We actually got the ambulance to go around the trest track about three or four times just to clear the water. And we even had the fire engine go around a few times as well just to make the track a little bit drier for us. Mm. Um, but you would not believe the, the, the day of filming, turn, pushing the start-stop button on the car to turn the engine on, that roar, knowing full well who'd sat in the same seat as I did. Um, and Top Gear is one of those programs that's, that's broadcast everywhere. I remember being in the States and watching Top Gear. A friend of mine is totally blind, and he drove on Top Gear. He parked the car by spinning it into between two cones. It was really cool. Amazing. Yeah, but this is it. It's you know, Top Gear is one of those programs where you watch and think, oh, "I can do better than that." And and you know, to, to actually sit in the car, in the car that's actually used for Top Gear, and this car had no modifications, so it was a normal standard car. There was no additional brakes or anything at all. Mark had no control on this, but we were at, at one point we were we were so in tune. Just as he said, left, you know, the, the steering went to the left. Gear changes were spot on. But it was the most amazing feeling. I walked out of there thinking, I need to do this again. I, I need this rush in my life. How long was it before you start trusting Mark? I mean, I mean, you're driving a hunk of metal down a road with a lot of power. And it, you trust. Trust is a big thing. This is, I think it worked with me and Mark because I trusted him. And I knew that from the test day we had in Oxford, months before the Top Gear driving. And it was the banter. It was the fact that he trusted me as well. He never grabbed the steering wheel. He never grabbed the handbrake. He was always precise on his instructions. And would you believe even through the the test drive, even practicing the laps for Top Gear, we're having a conversation as we're driving the car. So it got to that point. It got to the point where we were not 100% focusing on what we should be doing, but we're just, oh, how, how was your weekend, Mark? How are you doing? How's the family doing as we're doing 100 down the runway? But I think it is all trust. And Mark, Mark was crazy. He was, I think he got as much as a rush as I did. I remember actually turning up to the day where we were going to start the filming, but Mark had driven in three hours ahead of time because he was that excited. He had a three-hour drive, but got there three hours early just because he was super excited to do this. And we were like two giddy school kids in, in the car because we knew just what, what an opportunity we had. But yeah, uh, we're always joking. And I was saying to Mark, you know, the next thing we have to do is the Nürburgring. You know, one of the things that I remember specifically on that drive was he wanted you to keep it in gear as far as you could get it up to the revs before you shifted. So you didn't waste any energy. What was that like, that experience? Oh, do you know what? It was my head. So my hand was on the gear shift most of the time. A lot of the driving, it was one hand. Because there's so many corners, so many gear shifts as well. He wanted to eke out every millisecond that we could, every... want to get that sweet spot every single time so knowing full well that we were recording the fast lap and it was the only time we're going to record it it's that whole anticipation i'm ready to go but he would just damn it it just a few more seconds a few more just hold it hold it now and that was it tighter that's it to the left driving the GT86. I can feel everything through my fingers through my feet i can hear the car i can hear the engine i can feel the power it got to a stage where I didn't have to really think about anything. I would just listen to Mark and let him give me the instructions. And I was basically his hands and his feet. And it worked. It really did work. I think I, think I had a bit of a cry afterwards. And I think he had a bit of a cry as well. You know, that's really neat that someone that's sighted is just excited for you 
And they are excited as much to accomplish this, to take on the challenge. And like you said, and being an advocate or out there campaigning and trying to educate people who may not be aware of the challenges that we have, it's neat when you connect like that. This is it. I'm I'm very fortunate to meet some inspiring people along my sight loss journey. And even though Mark isn't visually impaired, to me, he's an inspiration because he believed in me. And I think sometimes that that belief kind of gives you that energy you know to to know full well that people believe in you believe in your ability to do something that was it i went into the driving experience on on the morning thinking i'm going to let everybody down you know toyota have, have supplied the car they've they've got film crew in they've they've closed the track off for the day they've got everything in place they've got the emergency services the last thing i wanted to do was go in there sit in the car and think oh my god i can't do this and let fear get into the way. And I, I was very honest with them as well at the beginning, saying that, you know, I might get in the car. And that, at the moment, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all adrenaline talking, but I might sit in that car and just decide like, I can't do it. You know, the pressure is just too much. But having Mark as my co-pilot next to me, just reassuring me that I might just take it easy. Let's just get this done. You know, let's get around the first bend and see what we can do. It's, it's having that kind of push without actually physically pushing me, you know, giving me that inspiration, giving me that, that, that hope that I can do it and giving me that self-control and self-belief that it can be done. I think that, that's, that's a huge part. What was it like when you broke the two-minute mark? Oh. Did oh, you feel so, it? Did you know you were better than two? No. Do you know what? Concept of time is what I've lost since losing my sight. It's crazy. We would be on the, the radios asking them, you know, how, how fast have we done? Uh, you know, where can we beat? Not, you know, where can awful? Where can we beat another half a second? And it was, I don't know why we were so quick, but we were. But I think that was pure adrenaline going. Let it go. Go on, bit of gas. Go on, bit of gas. Over the finish. Come on, get in. At that time, I don't think I had any concept of time. And the fact that we, you know, I, I think we were fifth on the leaderboard, which was absolutely insane. And I always joke, I always say to everybody that, you know, I had Mark as my ballast in the car. If I didn't have Mark, you know, I could have done a good five seconds quicker. <laughs> so next time we try it, maybe he, Mark could be on the radio as opposed to being in the car. Um, but I do. I, but oh, that would be cool. Wouldn't that be? But. You know what? I, I, I would take my time. Even now, the crew were amazing. What all the crew did at the end of it was sign their names on my helmet and actually put the time on. And they gave me the helmet. Oh, wow. And probably once, twice a week when I need that little bit of motivation that sometimes I wake up in the morning and think, well, you know, work's really tough. Can I do this? Can, you know, I, I travel a lot for work. And sometimes I think, wow, is this just too much for me? I would sit in front of my TV. I would put the surround sound on. I would put my helmet on and I would listen to the audio described version of that lap with the bass box just booming, vibrating with the surround sound going. It takes me back to where I was. And I think I can do this. I thought that was really great. The first thing I saw was the YouTube video from Toyota about your experience. And then I saw in the show notes that there's an audio described version. And that was even better. I went to that and it's like, you know, talking about how your hands are on the wheel or whatever it was saying. That was cool. This is it. The, The lady who did the audio description for the video, she sent me a message and said that she played it over and over again in her home studio just to make sure she got every last emotion into there and and i love her for that so that was that was absolutely amazing yeah that was really cool and i gotta hand it to toyota to do this to them it must have been a challenge you know i'm i'm sure a lot of the camera crew and said say say what we're gonna do what a perfectly good car <laughs> this is this is there was one gentleman there actually and his job was to, to make sure the car was running at its best and he did say to me amit just just we we haven't got any more cars you know i don't have a spare wing for the car or anything at all so please just don't don't dent it so i think i think toyota saw it as a challenge so toyota have this hashtag called start your impossible and they use that for their paralympics mm. i'm very very fortunate that when when they did the edits for the video and it went into i think the managers or the ceo whoever saw this video they said this video has to have the tag start your impossible and for me that that says it all it, it was it was the start of my impossible because you know you don't get blind guys right driving around racetracks where able people do you, you know that doesn't happen every day you, you you know blind guys have driving experiences you can drive around a, a disused airfield but you don't do it competitively and for toyota to give me that opportunity and actually give me the trust and the belief that i could do this was absolutely amazing because 
I don't think it came cheap. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm very lucky they haven't billed me for it uh, because I know it hasn't come cheap. But it's, it's that whole, we believe in you, we can do this, and we've never done it before. Let's give it a go. That's awesome. There's only two other people I know that have kind of competitively done it. It's Brian Fisher and Dan Parker, world's yes. fastest. Now it's Dr. Ahmed Patel is right in that category. <laughs> I was excited. When I heard that 149, I was like going, yes, he did it. It must have been exciting. Now, you mentioned you do a lot of traveling for work. What kind of work are you yeah. doing today? So today, actually today, so we've got the, I have been judging candidates, finalists for the C-Ability Award. It's for the, um, the RNIB, which is a national eye charity here in the UK. Mm-hmm. I've been going through the nominations and shortlisting and doing my top three. So I've been working from home today, but I've also gone to see a school that my son may start in next September. So um, we went to do a school visit, which was quite challenging. Three, four hundred school kids and me and my guide dog and my wife with a buggy with a three month old looking at prospective schools. But I, I actually do a lot of work around, around the UK. I talk about diversity, inclusion. I do motivational speaking. I do a lot of corporate events talking about how disability can actually up your workforce, you know, never dismiss someone because of their disability. The way I think about something is completely different to the way an able person thinks about something, you know, tap into this and not all disabled people, you know, sit at home all day. You know, a lot of us have careers, lots of, you know, we have experiences, we have skills and the workforce need to tap into it. So there's, there's a lot of work. There's, there's a trip coming up. We're going out to the States, actually going to New York in about three weeks time for a couple of conferences, a couple of talks. So it's just, yeah, just busy constantly busy. Are you still uh, doing the doctor stuff? Uh, I'm not practicing. Um, still still interested in everything that goes on. Um, but you never know. In a couple of years, I might go back. Well, when your kids catch a cold or <laughs> something, oh, I'm sure. I, 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 will, I, will, I will fix up a finger. I will, I will suture. I, I will do all of that. No problem at all. I can do that with my eyes closed. But practicing in a hospital, give it a couple of years. That's interesting when you say, I can do that with my eyes closed. I mean, I used to use that statement. I can do that with my eyes closed. Well, I'm doing it. <laughs> yep, that's it. Well, that's, that's, really, that's really something. I mean, to think where you've come in such a short amount of time and getting involved. And I think, as you said before, once you got your cane, you, you were out. You got out of that comfort zone of your own home, but you went out. And I think meeting up with other blind people and injecting yourself into the arena, the yeah. workforce, the organizations that are helping the blind, and just talking to other peers in the blindness community really keeps you out there. Oh, absolutely. I had no experience of sight loss before I went through it. So to talk to other people who have gone through it or who are going through it and that we can go through it together and actually support each other. I think that's a huge thing. It's simple things. It's, you know, it's how do you make a cup of coffee in the morning? How do you, how, you know, do you put your finger in the cup? Do you burn your finger every day? I didn't know there was anything like a liquid level indicator, which you pop into your cup and it starts beeping. And it's small things, you know, it's finding the support. It's getting people, it's, it's when someone turns around and says, oh, I mean, have you tried it this way? Oh yeah, it's changed my life forever. It's the small thing. Once you start learning the small things because losing my sight i felt i had to start all over again even walking in a straight line when i lost my sight you know, you forget about what you do when you're sighted you know you wake up in the morning you get up you do what you want when you're visually impaired it's a little bit more difficult you know you have to think about everything everything has to be in its right place but to have people around me to say well we've been there don't worry you get through this or this is the people you need to contact these are people you need to get help from and the reason i do all of my campaigning is because we've been through all of this, and we've had barriers and hurdles which we've had to overcome. And sometimes these barriers and hurdles don't really need to be there. Sometimes it's it's a little bit difficult getting the help you need. So we, we work with a lot of organizations to make things a little bit more streamlined, a little bit easier. You make a great point about organized. Things should be where you expect them to be. And that was one of the toughest things for us me to realize that just being near is not good enough. Just like, you know, yeah. using GPS to get to a location gets you, <laughs> uh, gets you close, gets you pretty close. Yeah. But even when you set something down, like a twisty tie around a, a bag for where the <laughs> bread comes in, that thing can disappear in seconds. Absolutely. So. Do you know what? That used to frustrate me. I used to get so frustrated when I used when I couldn't do the simple things. And and you forget in our house we have our own way of doing things. I remember when we first when I lost my sight, my mom used to come around and say, "Oh, I'll, I'll move the coffee pot over here and I'll put the sugar over here." And I have to say to my mom, 
you know, mom, you can't clean my house. You can't move things around because I'll just never find it again. It's funny that people walk into my house expecting to see modifications, you know, handrails or I don't, I don't know what people expect to see, but they say to me, oh, it doesn't look like a blind person lives here. I wonder what that really looks like. <laughs> Well, this is it. My house is clean because it has to be because everything has its place. Everything goes back in its place. Um, but I, we have lots of photos on our walls. We have lots of memories everywhere from our holidays. And But people, I don't know, my, they, I think they think that going into a blind person's house, you know, the, the walls are bare. There's nothing coordinated. And it's funny when we have these conversations, they're like, oh, you know, your cushions match your sofa. I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. But yeah, they, they forget about my wife could see. <laughs> You've had to accept it at some point because th there's a major step that a lot of people think about in their lifetime as a blind person is, should I have kids or not? But now you're you're a dad. I mean, your Twitter handle. Blind Dad UK. Yeah, Blind, blind Dad, dad UK. UK. Yeah, do you know what? When, when we got married, when we and I got married, we, we were talking about family. And all of that got put on hold when I lost my sight. We, we thought, you know, we, I could barely look after myself, let alone look after a kid. It was only after I, was, I got my guide dog, Kika, that she she kind of got me back to where I was before sight loss. She gave me that confidence, you know, we're working a lot more. That genuine smile came back on my face. Before we knew it, we were expecting a baby. It was it was a bit of a surprise, but a good surprise, because it was one of those things that if it happens, it happens. We weren't, you know, we weren't trying, but for us, the timing was good. And we've recently just had our, had our second baby. But the amazing thing was that my guide dog was actually in the delivery room in the hospital when oh, both of really? them were born, which was fantastic. She kept my wife calm throughout the labor. And my three-year-old was actually in the room, in, in the hospital room, when my three-month-old was born. And my guide dog and my three-year-old were sat in the corner holding each other. Mm. So it's, it's funny how, you know, you sometimes you can plan your life out. It doesn't always go the way you planned. Sometimes it could go, you know, exactly how we planned. We kind of went with the flow. And it seemed to work. And I haven't been more happy than I am right now. I think I used to, I don't think I used to appreciate everything around me when I was sighted. I used to, you just get on with things. But being visually impaired, I kind of appreciate so much more. And I love being blind dad. It is a huge change of perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. As I said, you have your good days, you have your bad days, but you have those if you're sighted. Have a few more challenges if you're visually impaired, but there's nothing you can't achieve. I think you kind of put your own barriers in front of you. Sometimes you just need that motivation, or you you kind of you will get there eventually. Uh, everything takes time, and I think a lot of people push themselves too quickly as well, and they want to achieve everything very very quickly when they've lost their sight. They want to learn braille, they want to learn to use a white cane, but you kind of need to start walking again and start getting back on your feet again, and accepting that you've lost your sights before you can actually take everything else in. Experience is a great teacher. Absolutely following you on Twitter and you announced that you just finished the cover for a new book that'll be coming out next year. Yes, that's the exciting part. Yeah, so we, we're hoping to release in February 2020. And it's basically just the story of my life from when I was a kid to where I am now and how we've got here, and how different life is. But the, the great thing about the book is it's not just from my perspective. My wife actually writes a chapter in the book, actually saying you know, how difficult it was for her when I lost my sight. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people because it doesn't have to just be sight loss. It could be anything traumatic in someone's life. And it's not just them it affects, but it's it's the family. And people forget about that. So, you know, when I used to go anywhere, everybody used to say, oh, how are you, Emma? How are you doing? Everybody would forget about how is my wife doing? So we put a chapter in the book. Um, hopefully that will just give people that motivation just to kind of hang on. You know, things take time and, you know, time is a great healer, but you need a rock when you're going through anything traumatic. And for me, that was my wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know a three-year-old realized that your eyes are different. Yes. Yes. When he was born, I did kind of think, how am I going to change nappies? How am I going to be able to take him to nursery? How am I going to take him out and about? How am I going to be a dad? Is what I was thinking. But you know what? He was born after I lost my sight. So he doesn't know any different. He doesn't know his daddy could see before. He just mm -hmm. knows daddy does things in a certain way. And we realized very, very quickly that when I would change his nappies or diapers, he would fight it. He would just lay there, let me change it, let me change his clothes, no problem at all. When my wife tried to do it, it was different. When anybody <laughs> tried to do it, he was different. Even now, when we're out and about, when I, I take him to nursery every morning and he'll hold my hand and he'll tell me when a curb's coming up. He will stay very close to me. But when it's my wife, 
he'd want to be a couple of meters ahead because he's a big boy now he can walk by himself he doesn't need to hold mummy's hand and he does act completely when he wants to put his shoes on in the morning he will give them to me in my hand he won't just say here's my shoes you know help me put them on where he's completely different to someone who's sighted and he's always done that he's taken the he's taken a huge weight off us because he's just adapted. And it's fantastic that way. Oh, that's really something. For some reason, I reflected back to the guy that took your cane and threw it onto the railroad track that that guy had a total different experience in life. Yeah, absolutely. But we're at the stage now where everything is why. Daddy why, mummy why. Oh. And and unfortunately, at the moment, access refusals to department stores, to shops, to taxis with a guide dog is is quite difficult. Even though the law states that we can take our assistance animals anywhere, we get refused quite a lot. I've been refused quite a few times in the last couple of weeks, but I'm hoping my son's never with me because the one conversation I don't want to have with him is when we get refused into a shop is for him to say, why daddy, why can't we go in there like everybody else? And the hard question is, you know, what do I say to him? It's because your daddy's blind and we've got Kika the guide dog. So he hasn't quite grasped that he thinks that daddy does everything as a blind person, but he does. I'm still his dad. He doesn't see any difference. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna it's gonna be a time very soon where he'll say, "Well, daddy, you can't see, can you? You know, because I don't think he's quite understood that I can't see, which is which is quite strange." Yeah, but yeah, that's gonna be an, that's gonna be a great conversation. <laughs> and then there's gonna be when he starts to see society's limited expectations of his dad. Yes. You know, that's That's it. But you have to be strong enough and willing enough to put yourself out there to show up at these possible situations and challenge that and face them. And we can't just shy away and say, oh, society doesn't want me part of this part of the world or something. Oh, absolutely. I'm out there. I'm trying to spread the word, the message that, you know, being blind doesn't stop you from from being who you are. That, That, you know, it should never stop you from doing what you want to do in life. You know, there's always going to be hurdles there's always going to be barriers there's always going to be someone silly to say something you know ridiculous because when my son was born the same day someone said to me i didn't realize blind people could have kids Mm. um and this is this is you know this is a society we kind of have to integrate into as as visually impaired people and we just have to be the bigger person and sometimes i have to bite my tongue and not say something i want to say and just just walk away yeah there's another doctor in the uk i interviewed was dr amy kavanaugh and she started that campaign what was it don't Uh, don't grab just ask don't grab yeah yeah and that that got a lot of traction going around and you got to keep that momentum going on that because it hasn't changed today absolutely Absolutely. I got a question for you. As someone who just went through losing eyesight, adjusted to it, and are now out there campaigning, what advice would you have for, we call them transition students in the States here, when they're going from Mm -hmm. high school to college or university and to the workplace? But mostly it's a transition into adjusting to your blindness and bringing it into the workplace. I think, well, one, you don't have to go through it on your own. If you're, you're transitioning, it's, I, I think it's, it's great to get the experience from someone who's done it before. And also, it's so easy to say, don't stress, you know, don't, don't worry about it too much. Because I think we're, we're afraid of what we don't know. And sometimes it could be easier when you're, when you're moving from school to school. You, you may meet that right person who can inspire you, you, might have the right teachers who can inspire you, who can give you help. But never, I think, never be afraid to ask for help. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I think, I think people don't ask for help enough. And there's, there's plenty of people out there to, to help. And lots of people are willing to help as well. So I, I think that's my, my advice. Just don't feel you have to do it by yourself. That's great advice. It's just like when someone shows you a shortcut on the iPhone or something when you're oh, swiping around. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. Instead of doing six things and you can do it down to one move, it's like, hey, I like it. I like it. And that's how training is too, just like the cane, just like going from cane to a guide dog. It's a different type of world for you. And yet you can't do one with that. You have to go through that process in that order too. Yes. So Dr. Ahmed Patel, I really want to thank you for coming on to Blind Abilities and sharing with the listeners your story, your journey. Hopefully we get to see you back in a Toyota again. And I'm looking forward to your book coming out in February. Lovely. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time and being willing to do this. My pleasure. Thank you. And you and your family have a great day and take care. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Come on. Get in. The GT86 drives in a straight line along the track. Dr. Amit Patel lost his sight in 2013. He was forced to give up his career as an emergency first response driver. 
He hasn't been behind the wheel of a car since. Until now. Amit, along with his instructor Mark, approaches the car in slow motion. Amit is then seen at the wheel of the car, which is parked. I see the world completely differently to how I did as a sighted person. It took me a while to actually realise I lost my sight. Amit is sitting in front of the parked car, addressing the camera. I don't think I wanted to believe it for a while. I just thought, because it went so quickly, it might come back. But when you're desperate, you know, you kind of hold on to everything. It's been six years or so since I've been behind the wheel of a car. And it's funny how quickly things get back to you. You know, the sound of the engine, the, the gear changes, the clutch, the brake. But then driving and not knowing where you're driving, that's, that's the insane part. Amit practices his lap while instructor Mark provides information regarding the route. All I'm focused on is the instructions from my left-hand side. I'm just purely concentrating on what Mark is saying. Off the brakes, turn in. I kind of forget that I can't see. We see the GT86 spin 180 degrees off the circuit's main straight. It's crazy just to think that I'm actually doing this and I've got an amazing instructor beside me who kind of has to be a bit nutty to do what he's doing. Amit walks alongside the car, feeling its shape. Being on a Top Gear test track, driving the GT86, dream come true. You know, you always imagine doing this in a reasonably fast car. You watch Top Gear and you kind of think, oh, I can do better than that. But the fact that I'm actually doing this, but doing this as a blind person is, is incredible. Amit, on a practice lap, passes a number of parked aeroplanes. There's a guy sitting next to me, knowing full well how far he can push me and knowing my ability. It's absolutely mind-boggling that, that I'm actually here. Amit executes a number of manoeuvres through a series of tight bends. I came into this thinking, you know, if I can do two minutes 30, that would be amazing. The fact that we're doing it quicker than two minutes 30 and we're under the two-minute mark is fantastic. But I still reckon we can get faster than that. be behind the engine of a fast car, knowing full well I'm in control. It feels like I'm floating. Amit, on his practice lap, drives at speed along a straight. I feel the engine, I feel the vibrations, and you know what, I feel powerful. I feel like I did when I was a teenager back in a car. The GT86 slowly approaches a black and white hatched start and finish line, before taking off at high speed to begin Amit's timed lap. Change. Tighter. That's it to the left. During the lap, the car turns into a number of tight corners, and Amit is shown turning the wheel and changing gear. Driving the GT86, I can feel everything through my fingers, through my feet. I can hear the car, I can hear the engine, I can feel the power. The GT86 crosses the finish line. Come on! Get in! Time for the final run was 146. <laughs> Amazing, mate. Where you are done. The sun sets on the circuit. The GT86 is parked on the finish line before Amit addresses the camera once more in front of the car. Blindness is always there. It's always going to be in my life. But I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh my God, I'm blind. What do I do? I just get on with it. And it's easy to say now, but believe me, five years ago it wasn't. Amit is congratulated by his wife, Seema, son, Abby, and guide dog, Kika. I have an amazing wife who put arms around me. She gave me hugs when I needed it. She helped me up when I needed to get up. And she gave me the motivation. She gave me the love that got me to where I am. It's made us who we are. And from that, we have an amazing young son, you know, two and a half year old boy. In my head, I can see a smile on his face. You know, I'm hoping he's He's proud of what his dad's achieved, but I don't want him ever to grow up thinking that he's not able to do this. If anything, I want him to, to grow up and think, being blind hasn't stopped my dad from achieving things. You know, we do it differently, but we do it together. And that's what it's all about. A caption reads, start your impossible. Go on, bit of gas, over the finish. Come on, get in. For more podcasts with a blindness perspective, check us out on the web at www.blindabilities.com. On Twitter, at BlindAbilities. A big shout out to Chichao for his beautiful music. You can follow Chichao on Twitter at LChichao. Chichao. Chichao.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And until next time, bye-bye. When we share what we see through each other's eyes, eyes, we can then then begin begin to bridge bridge the the gap between between the limited limited expectations and the reality reality of blind abilities. abilities. For more podcasts with a blindness perspective, check us out on the web at www.blindabilities.com, on Twitter at BlindAbilities, download our app from the App Store, BlindAbilities, that's two words, or send us an email at info at blindabilities.com. Thanks for listening. Now, wasn't that just an amazing, just an amazing piece of audio? Now, you get a chance, go check out the video. It's just, they complement each other quite well. Like I said, Jeff Thompson is just an amazing artist. I just one of my favorites. You know, he's just uh, he's just the kind of guy that whenever I have a question, I always go to about audio. He's the first guy I go to. He's just amazing. You know, he just uh, he's an inspiration to me. And I'm not, you know, and see the thing is, you, you need to you know, you need to separate the fact that Jeff's blind because, quite honestly, it doesn't mean shit because the information and the knowledge and that I get from him has nothing to do with the fact that he's visually impaired. What I get from Jeff is the fact that he's an awesome human being with a lot of talent and he does a great show and he does a great interview. And that's why I like Jack Thompson. Uh, Other than that, you know, the other stuff is just something he has. So I highly recommend you go listen to his show. I think you're going to enjoy it. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Stay out of trouble and try not to uh, drive, you know, fight too much with that crazy uncle. You know the, you know the one. All right, I'm out. Kingfish out.